But what she said and what happened afterwards was the true test of spirit, and it was remarkable. So she said to me, your brother is bringing you a bowl of marbles, and he's saying jokingly that you're, you know, getting your marbles together. And I was like, oh, thanks, Merle, ha ha, honey. <laughs> and I don't remember the rest of the reading, but I did say, well, I don't have any marbles. I don't have a bowl of marbles at all, but I'll, I'll take, I'll take the message as, you know, basically getting my marbles together. <laughs> the next week, I was down in my laundry room and I had a pink carpet on the floor down there. Right in the middle of the pink carpet was this blue and white marble. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? So I am here talking to Renee Buck. She is one of the certified mediums with Forever Family Foundation and one of my friends and one of the first mediums I met in the middle of all this research in, I guess it was 2016. Was it 2016 or 2017? 2016, how could I forget? Right after the lovely, lovely election. So... Yes, it was right after the election. So we commiserated in in, in Florida. In Florida at a Forever mm-hmm. Family weekend before we of course even had any idea things would come to the level of disaster and the whole country would be quarantined. Right. So much has happened since then. It's kind of remarkable. And not, oh not as good things, in my, in my opinion. So along with being friends with Renee, I've had a lot of really interesting experiences. Not only did I meet her that weekend, and very early on where she very patiently let me ask her question after question, I also did a past life regression with her, and I took a class for beginners to learn mediumship skills. I mean, how do you even know you had abilities? What were some of the first experiences you had that made you think you did have abilities? I never went into this believing that I had abilities. I was in search of answers to prophetic dreams that I was having. It was suggested to me that 
there might be someone at the spiritualist church who could answer my questions about my dreams. And it, the spiritualist church is kind of or, kind of organizing mediumship through the culture and community of a religion, and it doesn't require a god or the way that spiritualists define spiritualism is that it is a science, a philosophy, and a religion all in one. There is a belief in God, although I would say it's more similar to a universalist approach in that all of the masters are accepted as equal, that our teaching can come from anyone and anywhere in the world and in the history of, of the world. And so it's very open. But the one thing that spiritualism does is it adds the components and the belief that, you know, mediumship is a divine attribute that all of us possess, that we can communicate directly with with spirit. We don't need to have a go-between if we want to develop our own abilities to, to communicate with our loved ones, with our guides, with God. And also the belief in energy healing. So that's what really makes spiritualism stand apart is mediumship and and energy healing and just this open this openness to all forms of of spiritual teaching okay that's yeah i hadn't known much about it from like the spiritual perspective spiritual yeah. sorry perspective so yeah. then i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut off your story so go back so you were having yeah. prophetic dreams i think I, me and probably our viewers or listeners, sorry, podcast, would love to know an example of one of those dreams, if you're comfortable sharing. Sure. So my, these dreams started for me when I was around my late 20s, I guess, or mid-20s, maybe. And they were dreams that I would have about myself, although they were prophetic. In other words, the reality would catch up to the dream at some number of years later. So for example, the first prophetic dream that I that I recall that I actually recorded in my diary, it was my first night in Tokyo. I was in Japan on a one-year program and I was headed to, to Okinawa to teach um, in the school system there. But we had our orientation in Tokyo and that night I had a dream that I was in the small office. So in this particular dream, I it was my first night in Tokyo. I was there for an orientation. I was going to be a teacher, in an English teacher in Okinawa for the year. But this dream was of me in a small office. I was there with like four or five other people. And then there were two people standing in the doorway. And they were talking to us. And we were all listening. And anyway, I woke up from that dream curious because it was so vivid. It was like watching a movie. But I didn't know anybody in the dream. They were all strangers to me, but it stuck with me. And I, I wrote about it because I have a dream journal and I like to record my dreams. And, and two years later, this dream actually came true. In between then, I had done my year in Japan and I had gone back to the U.S. to do my master's in teaching English as a second language and returned to Japan, um, but this time to the mountains to work for Seiko Epson as, a, as an English teacher in there corporate program. And it was during this very first week that this scene played out. I was in this little room, the teacher's room, and the two administrators of the program were standing in the doorway, having just come from a meeting with the management and were reporting back. And when that happened, you know, the hair on the back of my neck just 
stood up and I was like, oh my goodness, this is the dream. These are the people. So to clarify, it was the exact same people in the exact same space. Yeah. It, it, it matched. Like you even recognized the people exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized that. Oh my gosh, this is it. So that was like two and a half years later, probably. And that very same thing happened prior to me going to business school. I had applied to schools all over the place and I was waiting to hear. And then I had a dream of myself in a classroom in a lecture hall. And there was a professor there who had suspenders and blonde hair. And behind him was a wall of equations. Not a wall, but I should say the, the chalkboard. It was like a wide chalkboard. It was filled with equations. And there was a kid that was answering, asking a question. And so I told the woman that I was working with at the time. Again, this is in Japan. I wasn't teaching at that point. I was, I was the head of a publishing group at a securities house. I told her about my dream. And she knew of my prophetic dreams. And she said, oh, that must mean you've you got in, that you're going to go to grad school somewhere. And indeed, that was the very scene, probably about a week or two into my MBA program at MIT. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And this is in, there's the guy asking the question and there's the economics professor. <laughs> and I actually, at the last reunion, I went up to that student, Dorian, and I told him, I said, you know, I had a dream about you a year before I met you. And he's like, what? <laughs> so that was kind of funny. But um, yeah, so these dreams, what was interesting. I just it, have to say how crazy and fascinating and mind-blowing that is. That changes our whole definition of time. And who's, and who's communicating that? Like, how is this coming to me? That, you know, that was the big question. And, of course, the question of predestiny versus free will right? When we have prophetic dreams, does that mean that everything before us is already determined or that we have all of these choices and depending on the path that we go down, those are the dreams that, that I remember, right? That, that come through. That was a curious thing. In those dreams, the time between the dream, between the dream and the event, the actual event, got shorter and shorter over time until it was happening simultaneously. What do you mean simultaneously? Like the night before an event would happen? No, while it was happening in another place. I don't know what you mean. So I was in Europe, and I was having a dream about events that were unfolding back in Massachusetts in my home that, that impacted me. And, you know, so I... It was the middle of the night for me, right? And I, I woke up going, wait, is that, is that true? Could that be true? In the second dream, a person appeared who I learned later. It's actually my primary spirit guide, Brown Bear. So he appeared in my dream basically saying, don't worry, I'm here. And you interpret it as spirit. It could be interpreted 10 ways from you, remote viewing and physically, which is when someone physically which mm-hmm. also is backed up by evidence, goes and views supposedly out of their body or their consciousness or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole other 10-hour right. conversation on what exactly remote viewing is, but they go witness a scene that is not physically occurring in front of them. It could be psychically knowing. It could be predicting mm-hmm. the future. So, or I guess, so you say it's spirit. I'd like to know why you pick that interpretation you're right. It could have been anything, right? And I didn't know. I fell asleep again, and it was in the second dream that this other person shows up, this other man that I did not know. He had long black hair, and um, was in a ponytail, and he was dressed very sharply, very smartly. He had a 
like a black mock turtleneck on and a green blazer and slacks and just really classy and handsome. He said to me, he wasn't going anywhere. He was in my house in the, in the dream. I would just be like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on? Especially if this was happening so many times. I mean, I, I guess maybe. Yeah, yeah I, just, I wanted to know, like, how am I getting this information? Why am I getting this information? And now it's like real time. It was the first time it had happened. Did you ever meet or find out who this man you didn't recognize in the dream was? I did. So what happened from that point is I did go to the church. So it was either the first or second time that I went to the church that a message from my brother came through. And that was the first message from a medium I'd ever had. And your brother had passed away. Yes, he passed away when I was 12 and he was 14. So, and that was a remarkable, remarkable reading. I was, I was shocked. But the details were so, like, it was just undeniable that it was him. She described him exactly, his crazy curly hair and the color of his, the motorcycle, his, like, you know, his blue motorcycle that he died on and the mysterious events sort of surrounding that accident and just so many things. Just to also clarify, was this a medium you'd booked a private session with and she had your name? And but, Oh, this was in the church service. Where they were reading to a group. Yes. So the congregation at the end of a spiritualist church service, the last 20 to 25 minutes of the hour and a half service is dedicated to messages from spirit. And so the message medium will bring short messages from spirit out to people in the congregation. So this is a woman I never laid eyes on before, nor had she me. Didn't have your full name or your identity. And this is also before social media, right? Where she could have looked up profiles and recognized you. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. No, we we had no communication at all. You know, what's interesting is that she, you know, I was already in 40. I think I just turned 40 or 41, maybe, at that point. She, when I raised my hand after she was describing my brother, you know, the way that she was describing the spirit who had come through indirectly, teenage boy, you know, how he died and, you know, a number of things about him. And, and so I raised my hand because it fit me. And I would think I was the last one. Once it got to the blue motorbike, I was the last one with my hand up. And she looked at me and she said, oh, he's telling me he's your brother. That was the clincher because. For a 40-year-old to have a 14-year-old brother is pretty much not unheard of. It could be stepbrother or something, but so he passed years ago. Many years ago, right, right, right. And you were so, a teenager, too, or younger than He was older brother, so you must have been 12. He was 14 and I was 12, yeah. And she's bringing it in all these years later. Wow. Exactly. If she weren't tapping in, she would have said, oh, this is your son, right, Just because of the age difference. But she said, oh, he's he's your brother. He's she's telling me he's your brother. And then she had a message for my mother that I didn't really understand. And in fact, didn't even think was true, which was that, you know, my mother felt a lot of guilt about the accident. And I spoke to Nancy after that, you know, I went. Nancy was the medium. She was the medium. Yep. Her name was Nancy Strickland. I said, you know, I understood all of it except for that part about my mom. I didn't think that she felt guilty about it because she didn't have anything to do with the accident. And Nancy said, well, talk to your mom and see what she says. So I called my mom and immediately my mother began to cry. And she said, I did feel guilty. And I said, why? She said, well, because I fought 
your dad and your brother on the decision to buy that motorbike for his birthday because Merle was, my brother's name was Merle. So Merle was so accident prone that I just did not have a good feeling about it. And my mother was quite psychic. She picked up on a lot of things. She said I had a very, a very bad feeling about it. And I said, no, 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 no. And I finally gave in. And two weeks later, he was dead. And so she carried that burden her whole life. And the message from my brother was for my mom to let go of that, that it was his chosen time to go. He had accomplished what he needed to accomplish, even at 14 years of age. And that that it was, you know, had nothing to do with her. She did the right, she did what she was meant to do, which was to allow him to get the motorbike. So that allowed her to heal in a very profound way. And that that completely changed my whole idea of mediumship and its purpose. That healing that I felt in that connection to him, but also that my mother felt in in being somewhat released from the burden of guilt that she carried for not quite 30 years, 27 years at that point. That was kind of remarkable. And so then I went back to Nancy the next uh, next week, and I told her that, well, you know what? That did validate. So then she started asking me why I was coming to the church, and I told her about my dreams, that I was having these prophetic dreams that were coming true, and I was trying to understand who was communicating with me. And so she asked me if I was, interested in developing, you know, my abilities and bringing what I was receiving subconsciously into consciousness. And I said, I'm not really sure what you mean. And she said, well, mediumship, are you, are you interested in developing your abilities as a medium? And I said, oh, I don't think I can be a medium. I don't, I've never done anything like that. I mean, you're the first like message I ever received from a medium. And she said, you know, why don't you come and try? I have a circle at my house every Thursday night. If you enjoy it, I ask you to be dedicated to it and to come every Thursday because it's the consistency of the circle that makes it possible for people to develop their abilities. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try. So I did, and I amazingly to myself was able to bring through information that was evidential to people in the circle. So I continued there for five years. And now your question back to, So who was that guy in my second dream? In circle, one night, Nancy brought him through. She described him exactly. And she said, this is your spirit guide, Renee. His name is And you had never, you had not described him to her when you had your conversation about the dreams, or had you? No, not, not not in terms of what he looked like. I just said, and, there, and then there was another guy that came through, and I didn't know who he was. Okay, so she could have said anything, like, oh, that's a guy you'll yeah. meet in, like, five years. So you didn't describe yeah. him. You didn't really say the details. No, 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 not at all. I was mostly focused on the first dream of what had come true, right? Like, why was that coming true? Then I was on the second dream. So when that happened, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's why he's saying he'll, he's going to be sticking around. <laughs> because he's my guy like he's here right he's my guide and what Um, is a guide exactly a spirit guide a spirit guide you know we all have a band of guides actually and these are spirits who have agreed before we were back in in earthly bodies again to guide us to help us remember the life plan that we put together for ourselves and that they presumably helped us with they're our 
spiritual mentors, I guess, and guides. They know our life plan. They know our goals. They know uh, what we want to accomplish. They know who we're supposed to meet in this lifetime and the things that we are meant to do. And they urge us, nudge us, cajole us toward those goals through, you know, in many ways. And uh, I'm, I'm still understanding all of those ways. But, but one way for sure is that, that I know that they amplify those gut feelings that we have about our choices, whether it's choosing a person to be in our lives or a class to take or a job to take or a place to move or whatever. Like those gut feelings that we have are amplified by our, our guides and, um, and helps us stay on our path. And are these guys, are they people who lived before? Would they be like a great, 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 great grandparents? Or were they always guides? Like, what are they? Ah, good question. Both. You know, once we're on the other side, where our spirits all uh, gather back together. You know, if we're of a high enough level, I don't know if level is the right word, but a high enough maybe level of spiritual evolution, we can raise our hands to be, to be guides. Now, sometimes... Those guides may have had lifetimes with us on earth or possibly other places, or they may have remained on the other side and act as our, as our teachers. So what I do understand about Brown Bear is that he and I had one lifetime together back in like the 1500s or so in the Andes Mountains. Uh, we were indigenous people there and both died quite young from, from viruses brought over by um, by Europeans. So we had a short life together back then, but we have been uh, very close in, in our lifetimes on the other side. And so he is my primary guide. I call him my 24-7 guide or my personal guide in this lifetime. And how do you know that you had that life experience with him? How do I know that? That is a good question. I think the first way that that came through, when I was first developing, I was trying a lot of different modes of communication. And one of the things that I was experimenting with was automatic writing. And that is, can you explain to everyone what automatic writing is? It's something I want to try, and I've never tried it. It seems so interesting. I would just caution anyone who wants to try it to do it with a group of people around you just to keep the energy high. So automatic writing, the way that that works is that you are basically, you go into a meditation, you're tapping into spirit, you're inviting, you know, spirit and the light to work with you and to work through you. You have a pen in hand and something to Does write on. Does it have on. to be a pen and paper? Can you like write on your phone or computer? Yeah, of course. I mean, any, any writing utensil, you know, it may even work better. Is if it's like spirit from the other side coming in while you're automatic writing, I sometimes wondered, and this is just completely philosophical, there's no evidence for this, but if a pen and paper or a more old-fashioned form would be better because if you want people to come in who lived before, you know, they, that might be a form, you know, people, someone maybe if you want to talk to your great-grandfather, <laughs> they're probably more comfortable on a pen and paper than on your uh, smartphone. That is a good question. That's an experiment. We have, I'm yeah. in quarantine. I've got some time. Maybe I'll give both a try. I'll order some yeah. pens and paper online. and I'll, that, There's an experiment. I'm going to go try and see if it matters what technology. If right. people, you know, different 
people who've passed away, if maybe people passed away younger and more recently, come in more as my phone. But again, I mean, it'd be a yeah. big experiment having to prove that they were even real because one issue is now that I've thought this, I could subconsciously right. create characters that back up this theory. So, I mean, it, it would just would be a really fun, probably not anywhere yeah. close to flawless experiment. But okay, so sorry, back to explaining automatic writing. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive, they were living, breathing people, they weren't a picture in the media. There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body, who, who was it, what happened. What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. So I think just to just to answer that one doubt that lingers in your mind about is it just my subconscious or whatever, it's the, the evidence is in the information that is brought through. So especially if it's third-party information that you can look up and you realize, oh, yeah, well, that is true, right? Then, then you know that it's coming from somewhere else, right? Like public it's, records, it's, like you get details yeah. about a person who died and then you go to a public records bureau and found that, find out their name and date birth and death match. So sorry, going back to explaining to everyone what automatic writing exactly is. Right. So basically you're in a meditation, you've invited, you know, spirit and the light in, you've got light all around you, you have your hand holding the pen or pencil to paper, and you're just waiting 
your hand may not feel like it wants to move, but if it does, if you feel energy in your arm that wants to move, initially what happens is you just get a lot of scrolling and circles and, you know, it's messy. It's not, not anything as spirit sort of gets used to moving your hand. And then you will see words starting to form, but they're, they don't, it's hard. I think it's hard for spirit to pick the pen or pencil up off the paper. And so the words kind of run together. And then you have to sort of bring your hand back, almost like a typewriter. You have to bring your hand back to the beginning of the next line and then I'll continue, you know, writing. But but the words are all the words all come together. So yeah, it's very interesting. And in that it was through an exercise like that that Brown Bear I was asking him a question about how we knew each other and he talked about, you know, this early life and there was something in it and I don't remember I've got those pages here somewhere but there was something in that that I actually had to go look up about the location and you know the mountains and what country they were in because I didn't know he told me but I didn't know that I'm like well that's a good thing to go check and I went to check and and it was true I'm like oh well good that's a little nice piece of of evidence because it's information that I personally as Renee did not know so that's how I came to know who Brown Bear was and how long I had known him. Quite a long time. In, in Earth years, quite a long time. Of course, on the other side, there's no sense of time. I don't know what that feels like on the other side when there's no sense of time. You've talked about getting signs from your loved ones, like the marble story I thought was amazing. I don't know if that'd be something you'd be comfortable sharing here. You can also read a lot more about some of the amazing signs Renee gets on her blog, which I will post in the show notes. But okay. so a sign is something where you get communication from somebody on the other side. I mean, of course, it needs investigation and definitely so speculative. But it's still, I mean, I signs is something that I've studied some in my research as well mm-hmm. as gotten some of my own. So can you describe maybe the marble sign or a sign that you got that was just blew you away. Yeah, I'll be happy to talk about marbles. By the way, marbles, when people are searching for the spiritual significance of marbles, that is the number one way that they find me and from all over the world. So I don't know what's happening or why it's marbles that spirit is dropping literally dropping out of thin air sometimes into people's homes or in their past, they are becoming universally understood as a sign from spirit, sort of like pennies from heaven. Well, now it's marbles. Interesting. And to be honest, I could take marbles more seriously than pennies, I guess, because they're unusual. They're much more unusual. Everyone drops pennies and you can easily find them. It's kind of like, although I do personally have an interesting feather story, which may will come up in a later podcast, but it's definitely in my book. But it's kind of like when people say, oh, there's feathers, I got a feather, and there's in a town where there's a lot of birds, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I attribute pennies, I just don't give them a lot of, not to take away anyone's emotional validity, they might have very strong emotional validity, but if we're going to go just pure science, Mm -hmm. which I try to do, and remove hope and wish and emotion, overall, usually when I hear pennies or feathers, I have a hard time taking it from a scientific perspective, seriously. So, but marbles, I mean, who has marbles? So this is going back 
to probably 2010, right around there. Anyway, so I had had a circle at my house. So a circle means a gathering of, of people who are mediums and those who are interested in just receiving messages. I can't remember if this was just my weekly circle, weekly development circle, or if it was a special event. Oftentimes, like on Valentine's Day or special days, I would have a party and we would have a circle <laughs> because it's very fun. It's very fun to do that, especially on a special day like that. In the circle was a woman named Phyllis Brown, who was a, a really amazing medium. Um, she was, uh, I had met her at the spiritual church and she and her husband sat in mediumship classes with me. And anyway, so she was at the circle and she, of course, knew about my brother, because most people, you know, if you're going to the church week after week, they sort of know your people. And so it was no test of spirit that she was bringing my brother through. But what she said and what happened afterwards was the true test of spirit. And it was remarkable. So she said to me, your brother is bringing you a bowl of marbles. And he's saying jokingly that you're, you know, getting your marbles together. And I was like, oh, thanks, Merle. Ha ha, honey. <laughs> And I don't remember the rest of the reading, but I did say, well, I don't have any marbles. I don't have a bowl of marbles at all, but I'll, I'll take, I'll take the message as, you know, basically getting my marbles together. <laughs> the next week I was down in my laundry room and I had a pink carpet on the floor down there. Right in the middle of the pink carpet was this blue and white marble. And I was like, oh my gosh. And is this in a house? Or in an apartment building with other tenants? No, this is in a house. I had a three-story house plus basement. So it was a six-bedroom house, a big old house. So you didn't share the laundry room with other people the way you would in, say, an apartment building? or I did share with two tenants, and they are coming. They'll be in the story. So I see this this marble. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. But it was an antique marble. You know, you could tell it was kind of a little bit uneven, you know, on the edges. But it was really pretty. So I'm like, okay, cool. And I got my marble. I put it in my pocket. You know, I, I, at that point, I had a smartphone. So I texted. And I guess I emailed Phyllis and said, oh, I found a marble. I just wanted to let you know. I've never seen a marble in my house before, but there was one. And then a week went by, and I was downstairs doing laundry again. And there was a blue and white marble on the pink rug again. And I'm like, oh. That must have fallen out of my jeans because I just put, you know, my jeans and some stuff in the uh, washing machine. So I picked it up and I stuck it in my pocket again. And later in the day, I was upstairs in my bedroom and I saw a blue and white marble on the, the top of my dresser. I'm like, wait a minute. And I put my hand in my pocket and I pulled out the other one. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's two blue and white marbles. That's crazy. So then... <laughs> Over the course of the next weeks, I guess, I was finding marbles in every corner of my basement. And I have vacuumed that basement like corner to corner, you know, like at least every six months. This is like a kind of a, this kind of scary old basements, right? It had concrete floors and stone walls and whatnot. But, um, but it was really unusual. Like I would like, I, I, I in one case, I, stepped on the marble and went spinning across the floor. And I'm like, what is that? Of course, it was a marble. In another case, a piece of the 
plaster from the ceiling had fallen in the corner and I was scooping it up and there was something shiny in there and it was a marble. So it's so crazy. I'm finding all these marbles. So when I went home at Christmas time, I had five marbles and I brought them home to show my family and tell the story and everybody was really excited. So I came back from Christmas and I went down into the basement again and there on a, in another room, all these marbles were in all different rooms of the basement, right? So in another room on a counter were four marbles sitting together. And again, these were all antique marbles. I'm like, well, that's so crazy. And I knew that my tenant, Chris, had been moving his boxes around in that room. There was pallets in that room and they had, they were storing boxes. I was like, okay, so maybe Chris knows something about these marbles. So I went upstairs and I showed them to Chris and I said, did you put these marbles in the basement? And he's like, what? No. And there was another tenant there. And so I went and I called him and I said, okay, these marbles that I'm finding in the basement, do you have anything to do with them? And they're like, no, I've never seen them before. And there had been anybody else in the house. So now I put them all together and I had a bowl of marbles. All within Which, probably a month of the of the message from Phyllis. That is so crazy. And I can verify. I've seen that bowl of marbles at your place. So it's there. What yeah. is there any normal means explanation that makes sense? I mean, was Phyllis, could she have like snuck into your house and started dropping <laughs> marbles? <laughs> no. That's the crazy thing. I mean, usually like I will have contractors coming in and out, you know, but where would they be getting marbles and why would they be dropping them? But during that time period, the only people in the house were the three of us, my two tenants and myself, and they had never seen those marbles before and found it all very curious themselves. And of course, they, because they knew that I was a medium and they were both a little, I wouldn't say freaked out about riot, but, you know, they found the basement a scary place (laughs) anyway. So... The thought of spirits running around dropping marbles in the basement made them both a little more jittery. Well, I think what's especially remarkable, if you go to my website and you read the, the story, you know, Marbles from Merle, if you read the comments down below of people from all over the world who have told their marble stories, it's amazing. I actually did do a second post, and I included a few of those amazing stories. In a number of cases, like people actually heard the marble drop out of thin air and then roll across the floor to them from from nowhere. There was one woman who contacted me and because this was happening, she was finding all these marbles and she really believed that it was her father in spirit. But when she told her best friend, her best friend said, oh, no, this is something evil and you should have, you know, a priest come and perform some exorcism rites. And so it, it scared her. So she started Googling and she found me and she said, how can I know if this is my father? And I said, well, tell your father that you just want one more marble to prove that it's him and then no more and then see what happens. Because they were all coming fairly quickly, you know, one after the other. So she she did. She said that out loud to him. She said, okay, one more marble, dad. So I know it's you and then no more. And so she wrote me and she's like, well, I got one more marble. And I said, okay, give it a month and then write me again. And she wrote me a month later, like, no more marbles. We can communicate with spirit. We can use these signs and and say, I would love this sign, this particular sign from you. 
give them a time limit or have it attach some significance to that time. We can communicate with spirit in physical ways like that and, you know, see how well it works. I can't always promise that it will, but that's what I do. That Marvel story, though, it's just crazy. Why do you Hmm. think, I mean, I don't know if you'd have any insight into this. Why do you think marbles? Is there something in the materials? I don't know. I've pondered that. You know, a lot of marbles can capture and hold light, but not all of them. Some are opaque. Honestly, I don't know what it is about marbles. And I find it interesting that people are coming to that conclusion on their own, like even before they read. It's what drives them. Like they, they are expecting or assuming that it might be tied to someone they love in spirit because of where the marbles keep showing up. Like there was one woman who wrote and said, you know, I keep finding marbles outside the window of my daughter's bedroom. And she, you know, she died in that bedroom. She would have been very sick and, and uh, it was a hospice situation, but she kept finding marbles outside that bedroom. <laughs> the window, like outside in the dirt. And she would find it when she was gardening, right? So she was like, oh, maybe this is from my daughter. It's just very interesting, yeah. It's just weird. It's, it needs so much more investigation. I don't know. I, I guess you can't go back and do this, but I almost wish you could go back and set up a video camera at that time or phone and just see, like, yeah. are they just, how are they showing up? I mean, that's, how are they showing up? Yeah. Hind, I mean, hindsight. And after that, you know, after I got those, those marbles, after I had my bowl, I didn't find another one in the house. Like for years, I was there for another three years or so. There was not, not one more marble found. Was there a specific period of time? Was it like you found them over a month? Was this over like? Yeah, it was over like, uh, I have to go back to my blog post again, but I think it was over the course of like two months max, I would say. It was before Christmas and then shortly after. And it was done. I had my, I put them in my little bowl, or the cup, I guess. And that was my bowl. Did you ever count how many? Were, are they a significant amount? I asked Phyllis, actually, or, or she asked me actually how many. Or I, I can't remember how it happened. But anyway, her interpretation was that it was the number of people in my family. That's what she was picking up. And I said, well, there seems to be one extra. She said, well, hmm, I don't know. Maybe that's your higher self. I, I don't know. Well, I learned after that that I had another brother, <laughs> so it did fit. And so how many marbles were there? Because family could be expanded. Does it start bringing in in-laws and cousins? So or just, just, no, it's just my immediate family. So there were nine marbles, and there were, at the time, there were only eight people in my family. But Wait, your parents had seven kids? Six yeah, kids? well, I grew up with six kids in our family. And then we learned that we had another brother after that. So there were, so my mother, yes, actually gave birth uh, to seven children. (laughs) So, yeah. So then the number of marbles represented each one of us. There was one for each kid, including a brother you didn't know at that point existed and your parents. Yes. And it's interesting that Phyllis would say, you know, oh, th- that she kind of would even think of that. And then there's something I think a little evidential that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because she was sort of, you know, she's like, well, I don't know why there's that extra one. It could be her higher self, but I don't know. And then we just sort of left it at that. And we're like, well, we don't know. And then, yeah, 
and it was a year or two later that I learned about my other brother, <laughs> who's now a integral part of our family. Yeah, spirit works in mysterious ways, that's for sure, but it's quite exciting. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. This is from Lara. Lara asks, have any mediums ever told you things that you said were wrong or no to and then later came true? Oh, I love that question. There are actually two things that really stand out that this happened with. Early on in my research, when I pretty much thought this was not true, a medium who has sadly passed away, who was certified by the Forever Family Foundation, Sandra O'Hara, told me, she said, who's Joe? Your dad keeps talking about Joe. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any Joes that are an important person in my life, or I can't think of any Joes that I'm good friends with or dated or anything. And she said, well, pay attention to the name Joe. Joe's going to be coming into your life and he's going to be very important to you. I was like, okay, you know, do I have to swipe right on every Joe now that I find on an app or, you know, what? So I since have met, you know, Joe Peretta. He's a medium. I've had him on other episodes and he's become one of my good friends and he's become key in my life and afterlife research and we even did some experiments together and he ended up actually getting reading himself with Sandra and she made a really big difference in his life so the other thing that stands out is I went to another medium and I said no to every single thing she said she seemed honest. I don't think she was trying to cheat, but she just wasn't getting anything. She first described my dad and every single thing was wrong about him. He was kind of like what you'd imagine, almost like a cliche of a dad. And then after that, she started to tell me, again, this was very early in my research way before I would have ever considered writing a book, way before I found Forever Family Foundation and started volunteering. And she said, you know, I see you doing something with this work. And she's like, I see you're really going to be doing stuff with like mediumship. And then she paused and she's like, this is weird because I don't think you have any abilities. I was like, okay, that's like the one right thing she said so far. And then she said, I see you doing stuff with this in some really unique way. I see you speaking in front of groups of people and helping people with this work. And I basically scored that all as zero. I was like, I barely believe this. I think this stuff is all so weird and such bullshit. Like I'm getting some readings and taking a shot in the dark out of desperation and at least trying to look at this, but I'm not even going to tell anyone I went to a medium. So, you know, down the line, here it is. And while she was wrong about everything with my dad, she was so on point with everything with what the fuck just happened and my volunteer work with Forever Family Foundation. And, you know, that's something I'll talk about in another episode, but 
it seems that maybe she was not a good medium, but was a good psychic. And maybe there's some, maybe she has just precognition, which means she can see the future. I mean, that's getting into a lot of speculation and hopefully stuff they'll be more funding to study the differences like that at some point. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, Jet, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son Oliver Justice and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. Jet seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. Jet will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org 
forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. This is the end of part one of my conversation with psychic medium Renee Buck. Come back next episode for part two, where we discuss past life regressions, what happens when someone transgender has passed away and comes through in a reading? How do they communicate to Renee what their gender is? What does giving a reading feel like? What are some of the most evidential readings she has ever given? And I also ask her some pretty awkward questions, so you don't want to miss out. To learn more about Renee, follow her blog or book a reading, go to whispersfromthelight.com. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. <laughs>